Exodus 17, 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Shin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? May God bless this reading of his word, and let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for being our good Father, and for giving us and to us your word, a word that we need. Yet we need so many things. And if you were not gentle with us, those things would crush us to hear. And today, there are things that those of us, many of us will have difficulty hearing. But we thank you so much for giving us your truth spoken in love. That all truth that you give to us is found in the love of Christ our Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you do not present to us only a picture of our sin, but the completed picture that it is sin which you have paid for. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you do not just bear witness and stand alongside us as a condemning judge, but a counselor and comforter. So be with us now, both in the preaching and the hearing of this word. For without you, we are lost, but in you we are found. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are continuing our series of JCBC, Jesus Christ Before Christ. And hasn't it been exhilarating to see that all the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is but one testament to Jesus Christ? Seeing that causes us to appreciate and love Him all the more. And we've seen that the Bible is a rescue and redemption story. We've seen how God himself provides the sacrificial ram. And last week, Pastor John showed how Jesus is the true manna, bread from heaven. And today we will see through this passage, once again, how Jesus is everything we need and at the same time don't deserve. These are seven short verses. But the Old Testament references this event multiple times as warnings. Because it talks about a massive sin. And it's one, a great sin that I think we in New York can sympathize with today. The sin of grumbling. Yeah, that doesn't make it on any seven deadly sins list, does it? But right here, we see grumbling is a matter of life and death. 
And so, let us heed this warning found in Psalm 78 and Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, or as Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. But the great thing is that more than just warnings, these short verses carry the hint of the entire gospel and Jesus Christ in them. So let's go looking for Jesus. Three points today. Grumbling reveals our hearts. God in the dock, and grace in our groaning. Point one, grumbling reveals our hearts. The people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? You know, we're going to be kind to the Israelites for a moment. Thirst is a real and devastating need. You know, there are stories of how athletes, professional athletes, will die from overheating because they were dehydrated. So in the course of just a few hours of play or a few hours of practice on a field, they did not have enough water and their body dies of thirst. And then there's the old expression that the human body can go a month without food but only three days without water. It's not true body can last in ideal conditions up to 10 days without water. Temperature has to be right, your previous hydration level and all of that. But those 10 days are going to be horrible. And seeing people just laboring and dying of any essential need, of food to eat, of air to breathe, of water to drink, it's a terrible, terrible thing. You know, it's so terrible that I found out when I visited Arizona in March, there's a state law where if someone asks you for a cup of water, by law, you must give it to them. And people are nodding here. I I didn't know this. So you have, by law, you must give a cup of water to someone who asks, because it's the desert. It is the desert, and there is this great need. And societally, imposing a law that says care for your fellow man and give them what they need, it makes such sense. But at the same time, this is Israel after the ten plagues. This is Israel after the Red Sea crossing. This is Israel after getting water that's changed from bitterness to sweetness, that's given springs, 12 different springs for 12 tribes, and just last chapter, manna from heaven. And they're coming and complaining. They are grumbling. And we have to say, what short-sightedness, right? I mean, God is literally producing things from out of nothing. Ex nihilo, right? That's the old Latin phrase. Ex nihilo. Out of nothing, God is making food for them. And they're complaining about water. Like I said, it's not the first time that the Israelites grumbled about water. And Moses had to cry out to the Lord. But Moses, last chapter, do you remember when Pastor John read these words? Moses rightly tells the Israelites when they're saying, did you bring us out here to starve? He says, your grumbling is not against us, 
but against the Lord. That's how grumbling works. Grumbling is not a face-to-face -face accusation to someone. Grumbling is that muttering under your breath. Oh man, I can't believe he said what he said. I can't even. That's how grumbling works. Are you familiar with it? I am. Oh my goodness. You know, just, and New Yorkers, we've taken this to an art form. You know, you grumble about, I pick up my kids and just waiting there for my kids with strangers, because I don't know these others par other parents that I'm standing there with, and everything under the sun gets complained about. Things with Nassau County, things with New York, things with the country, things with the weather, things with, you know, just whatever. It's never to the person who they think is causing them this harm. It's always about them. You know, there's an entire pocket industry of movies. Woody Allen would not survive if it were not. How close grumbling was to our hearts. And this grumbling, when Moses says, your grumbling is not against me or Aaron. It's against the Lord. It captures it so clearly. We're accusing God. We accuse God when we grumble. And we say, has he, it's not have you because we're not addressing him directly, it's has he forgotten what I need? And the words with which Israel just is revolting. It would have been better for us to have been slaves in Egypt than to be out here and die of thirst. Man, they'd make terrible Americans, wouldn't, wouldn't they? Give me liberty or give me death. Nope, thirsty, going back. They look to their present situation and need, forgetting what the Lord has already done and how much greater that need was. They're complaining about God for water when this is the God who separated Massive water for them to live. And I have to say that we are no better. These short verses are in here because they speak to us. I, I am the worst at this. I don't know where your hearts are, but I know that I am a terrible grumbler. My wife knows I am a terrible grumbler. God has gifted her with the ability to deal with grumbling. She also has the sin of hating grumblers. So, <laughs> but I know that I am a grumbler. And that grumbling shows what is really important to me. Let me tell you, show you how terrible this is. So, um, recently, my elbow has started like clicking, and I feel like when I bend it a certain way, it feels like there's gravel in there. It doesn't hurt yet, but thought I'd get it check out, checked out. And the doctor tell, like, comes and says, that words you never want to hear, what have you done to yourself? And I have no cartilage left in my elbow. And he said, and gives me this list, You're, it's not painful now, but it will be. And there's no treatments out there right now that'll work. And we don't see anything that will be. So the elbow is hard. And I'm thinking, all right, this is, 
this is the first diagnosis where the doctor, uh, where a doctor has given me where he said, but don't worry, it'll get better. He didn't sugarcoat it at all. And so I've already been grumbling to Kim for months at this point, but I haven't gone to the doctor because I'm an idiot. So I finally go, hoping now that I'm going to hear something good, and I don't. And I'm like, I mean, I'm going to last 80 years, maybe, you know, just family history and all that. I mean, with sugar and triglycerides and everything else going on me. So it was supposed to last 80 years. And now I got nothing. You know, it's like, it's like looking at your tank of gas and wondering where you are and just thinking like, all right, how long are you going to get by? And then where do I go with this? Got to find someone to blame. Because in my blame, it's just not fun to grumble unless I've got someone to blame for this. And I realize that I have done such a good job at preserving my body, even through military service and the miserable place that the Air Force Academy was. I protected my joints, my knees. I never played soccer. I'm not, in, I'm not stupid. I mean, you know, just this is a precious gift from God, and I was going to take it seriously. And the only thing that changed the last 10 years was Ethan. My son on the autism spectrum, Ethan. Because kids who aren't verbal, who have verbal delays, will find other ways to communicate their displeasure. And they will also engage in self-destructive activities as well. And so one, one gem was that he would throw himself to the floor hard, let his head hit the ground too. So if, he didn't, if we were taking him somewhere, he didn't want to go. And being right-handed, which hand am I holding his hand in? With my right. And so from age two to age six, maybe seven, he'd do this. And what am I going to do? Let go? And so I hold on. And my elbow does what it's supposed to do. It absorbs that shock again and again and again until there's nothing left. And so now I'm grumbling about Ethan. <sighs> You're so annoying. Why? Plus, we have, a, we have a third child on the way now. This is how pastors announce that their wives are pregnant. <laughs> if, uh, so... If, if John and Nina were to have their third, this is how he would announce it. So, and I'm thinking, I mean, there's another one on the way. I can't do this one-armed. You know, what? And just the thoughts going through my mind. And I grumble. Now, mind you, I am the pastor who comes and visits you at home or in the hospital when you're sick. I've sat by you and prayed with you when you've had chemotherapies, when you've had trouble breathing. I've come to you in your pain and sickness, and I've prayed, and I've trusted the Lord, praying with you and calling on you, reminding you, encouraging you to trust the Lord. And I trusted the Lord with your aches, your pains, your diseases and sicknesses, of which it's so much better than, you know, harder than what I'm going through. Where's my trust? with this little thing. And you know what it says? It says something terrible. It says, in this moment when I am grumbling, I love me a heck of a lot more than I love you. 
Yeah, you don't like hearing that, do you? I don't like saying it. And these verses say the exact same thing. It doesn't take us long to get to violence in our displeasure. We don't need CNN and television and mobs and riots to show that violence is right there with us in our sin. Didn't Pastor John, or John Morgan preach on Cain and Abel about this, right? Displeasure at his brother and displeasure at God leading to murder. You know, Paul Tripp puts it this way. Grumbling forgets grace and foments rebellion. It forgets grace and foments rebellion. You have no idea how much you have, yet you always complain. Grumbling forgets what God has done and reveals what's really important to our hearts. And instead of trying to understand our circumstances through what we know about God, we seek to understand God by our circumstances. Which brings us to point two, God in the dock. You see, the English criminal courts have this separate place. So if you ever watch Law and Order, you see two tables, all right? The defense attorney and the prosecuting attorney. But in British criminal courts, you have a separate place, this walled area behind the lawyers called the dock. And that's where the defendant sits. That's where the accused criminal sits throughout the trial for the jury to look at him and to look at the witnesses back and forth to see his reaction. And C.S. Lewis I'm not going to read the whole quote, but I put it in your, in your uh, bulletin. C.S. Lewis says that it's man's tendency now to want to put God in the dock and put ourselves on the bench on the, as the judge. And we want to say, God, defend yourself for the choices you have made. Defend yourselves for the th- yourself for the things I am going through. And we use our judgment seat of grumbling to say how God has failed us. We are saying in my elbow pain, God, you did it wrong. Should I either make cartilage stronger or you should have given me a better son? You did it wrong. Or you're not good like you say. There are places with water you should have led us to, maybe the Israelites were saying. We're with you. Aren't we supposed to get everything we need now? And this is what our grumbling is revealing, that we are putting God on trial. Not realizing that there is a trial going on not realizing that there is a judge. Exodus 15, 22, after the Red Sea crossing, after God has rescued the Israelites, he told them how it's going to play out. Here are the rules. I have saved you. I have rescued you from the Egyptians. Verse 20, uh, chapter 15, verse 26. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. God was saying, obey me. 
love me and trust me and you will live and you will be spared judgment. Now, does it sound like they deserve to be spared judgment? Right? With these struggles that they've had, with being hungry for a few days or being thirsty for a few days, it's only what they deserve. In fact, if God were to cut off the food supply completely, if God were to cut off the water supply completely, because isn't that what he did with the Egyptians? And ultimately, what was, because he, you know, just hailed, crushing all the grain, and the Nile River, just the way that water and irrigation happened, turned to blood and useless. And then what was that last plague about? What did Pastor John teach us? That we all deserve to die for our sins. And in the desert, the Israelites, as they're rebelling and murderously contemplating killing their servant, his servant, Moses, they are not doing any of this, what God has commanded. And so there is a courtroom. God is the judge. They are the defendants. We are the defendants. And we are found lacking. God could say, have you forgotten what I have just given you? What I have just done for you? As we're complaining to him. And even in the Ten Commandments, at the beginning, he doesn't just lift off the commandments. He starts off with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The thing that you needed most of all, freedom and bondage, from bondage. And me, I have given to you. Now live in light of that. And so there's this courtroom, but... Who does the judgment fall upon? And that's the most fascinating thing about this passage. It turns everything on its ear. Everything is upside down. Because that rock, that rock is the dock. That rock is the defendant's chair. And who is it that stands upon it? Who goes there and stands upon it? God himself. He says to Moses, gather the elders. They're going to be the witnesses, the representatives of all of Israel who deserve to die. And if this is a real courtroom, then they'd die. But I'm going to show you something. Verse 5, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock and water shall come of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. This is an amazing thing that's just happened. The staff, it's not just a Harry Potter magic wand thing going on. This was an instrument of judgment. Anytime that God was doing something against the, the Egyptians, God told Moses, go and strike the Nile, and the Nile was condemned. And then the staff, held up with the Red Sea crossing, and then a staff comes down, and the Egyptians are condemned. And that instrument of condemnation, God says, use it against me. Use 
you the sinners, you the grumblers, who haven't the courage to bring your accusation against me, I invite you to strike me. And out of that, out of that hole in the rock, the rock that was cleft, shall spring forth water for you. God is saying, it is not I who failed and mistrusted. It is not I who wavered and forgot. But I will allow myself to be struck by you, to give you what you need and only I can provide. And there, I don't think I've been too subtle about it, do you see Jesus? There, do you see that many years later, we will see exactly what God was talking about. When God himself would say, I stand before you on this rock, and you shall strike this rock, and living water shall come out of me, and you will have new life. Instead of Moses, thank God that Jesus was a better leader than Moses, who said, instead of what shall I do with this people, Jesus cries, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And instead of grumbling about his thirst, he groans out to his father, I am thirsty, so that we would have springs of ever-flowing water. And instead of grumbling, if the father has forgotten his need, Jesus groans out to his father saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we would never be forsaken. So that we would never be forgotten. And Paul Tripp says, this is the hope of the gospel. Jesus refused to grumble so that in your grumbling there would be forgiveness. Jesus did not grumble. He was like a lamb silent before his shearers. He is not like us and isn't that why we love him? And in that passage John read before, through the cross, Jesus cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Our God has not, nor ever forget, forgotten what we need, because what we most needed, even greater than the Israelites needing a pathway out of Egypt, We needed rescue from our bondage to sin and death. And Jesus has done it. To which Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried his sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Knowing that being stricken past participle of strike, that God the Father struck Jesus with all the wrath that we deserved and stricken with a spear in his side where blood and water flowed. This is our rock of ages. And because he is that rock cleft for us, we can have grace in our groaning. See, verse 7, the Israelites asked the right question. Is the Lord among us or not? And that's a question we should be asking, but let's arrive at the right answer. The answer is yes. Jesus is saying from the cross, yes, 
I am. The Holy Spirit is in us, working with us, saying, yes, I am. And if the Lord is with us and for us, then what can there be in this world that can stand against us? Bodily sickness and pain, rejection and hurt. We can say, along with Paul, the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We have him with us. He is the rock who sustains our lives far better from any water flowing from a rock in some desert. As much as they needed that, we need Jesus more. And so how do we do this really quickly? How do we stop our grumbling? Because it's not stoicism. Stoicism says, suck it up. That's an Air Force term. You know where it comes from? High-altitude bombers. We're so high up in the air, and there was no pressurized cabins back then, so however many thousands of feet you were up in the air, you were exposed to the elements. Water would freeze there, and you could not breathe except for your oxygen mask. You had a mask, and you were getting oxygen constantly from there in freezing cold temperatures. And along with hypoxia, you get nauseous, and you throw up. And if you throw up, with your gas mask on, there is vomit now in that oxygen tube. And what happens at that freezing cold temperature is that that vomit will freeze and you will die from lack of oxygen. And so, if you prefer not to die, you must suck it up. Nice picture, right? Is this what our God requires of us is he saying the cross was pretty bad so just suck it up no this is not this is not stoicism he invites us to cry out to him not to grumble about him but Charles Zimmerman says to do this, to fight our grumbling, we fight our grumbling hearts by groaning with gratitude. You grumble about, you groan too. And he invites us so many times in the Bible to come to him, to cast our burdens upon him, to bring our pain, to bring our sorrows. And you know what happens? You know, grumbling is really cowardice. You say things in your grumbling that you'd never say to a person's face. But when you see a person's face, you can't say those things because you see the whole person. You see everything that they've ever done for you. You see the love that they've shown for you. And when you groan to God, you see His grace to us in Jesus Christ. And you remember, he has been faithful and answered every need. And when you do that, and when you see what he has done, you can do. There's a formula in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. What do you do to counter that grumbling when you're worried? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God you see when you're coming to God 
you're reminded of what he has done for you already. And gratitude starts dawning for the biggest need that you had, your salvation, your redemption in Christ. He did that. But then it starts sinking in. It starts trickling down to all those other areas that you have forgotten about God. You know, this week in preparing for this message, and again, I needed this way more than I know any of you needed it. In preparing for this message, I said, I'm going to groan to God. And I, as I saw the cross of Christ and was so thankful for it, and as I asked with worry, what am I going to do? A new baby on the way, half my life left to go, things go well. What am I going to do with this? And it was as if God was saying, you think I gave that to you for you to be comfortable for your entire life? What if I gave it for you to protect Ethan from harming himself so that through your suffering, he would learn what a good father he has in me? So I'll shut up. Not because I'm sucking it up, but because I've got a better way to look at things. Because I see in the rock of ages cleft for me, I can find that hiding place where I am satisfied, where I am covered, and where I see that all my needs, the really important ones, have been answered and taken care of. Church, will you also hear his voice and not harden your hearts as at Meribah, that Massa in the wilderness? And will you look to Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, and friend, and groan with gratitude? Let us pray. Great Father in heaven, we thank you for being the one who hears our groaning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the one who did not grumble. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for turning our faithless hearts in new life to the one who has paid for our sins on the cross. Help us to live this out and be so different from the world around us and through our joy and contentment show them how glorious you are. Be with us and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.